It was during the Second World War that the Nazis forced many a 12- and 13-year-old boys into the junior Gestapo's. These boys were treated very harshly and were forced to perform inhumane tasks. And when the war ended, most of these boys lost track of their family. So they wandered around in the streets, hungry and homeless. And as part of the aid program for the post-war Germany, they established Tent City for these boys. And they deployed a large number of doctors and psychologists to work with them to help restore them physically, to help restore them mentally. But one of the things that baffled these professionals, it was this, that many of those boys, in fact, most of them, would wake up in the middle of the night screaming from the top of their voices in a nightmare. They scream in terror. Finally, one doctor had an idea, an experiment. He said he'll try. After he fed them a very large meal, he handed each one of them a loaf of bread. And he said, I want you to take this loaf of bread with you to bed and keep it till tomorrow morning. And as they've done this for a few nights, miraculously, they slept through the night. Why? Because after so many years of hunger, they were finally had the assurance of food for the next day. Now, I want to tell you that the number one cause of fear in our communities is fear of the future. The number one cause of anxiety in America is over what will tomorrow hold for me? The number one cause of worry is over the question, what will happen to my family? What will happen to me? The number one cause of sleepless nights is, will I make it another day? Anxiety, worry have nothing to do with the amount of money a person has. I have known wealthy people who have been so worried and anxious than those who have precious little. And John the Apostle records for us, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this what he calls the fourth sign, the fourth miracle in the Gospel of John. Turn with me to John chapter 6. And John records this miracle for our benefit, for your benefit, for my benefit. In fact, this is the only miracle that is recorded exactly in all the four Gospels. The only one, other than the resurrection, of course. And John records this sign to assure those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ that Jesus is not only able to change water into wine, that Jesus is not only able to heal the boy who was at the point of death, that Jesus was not only able to heal a 38 year of paralysis. John records these words to tell the believers of every generation that your anxiety is baseless that your worry is groundless, that your fear is unnecessary and is not honoring to God. Because it is God who gives you your food and not the government. It is God who holds your future and not your employer. It is God who prospers you when you follow His biblical stewardship principles. It is God who blesses you today and blesses your tomorrow. It is the Lord Jesus Christ to whom you should look and not Uncle Sam. For he will never forsake you. He will never disappoint you. Here at this particular time in Jesus' own ministry and own life, he was really at the peak in earthly life. He was at the peak of his popularity. 
Here we find Jesus be followed by multitudes, thousands of people who are pressing on him, albeit not out of conviction, but because he fed their stomachs. He took care of them out of selfish need and selfish interest. But John tells us something very significant. He only gives us seven, a sample of many miracles that he performed. If you look at verse 2, John the Apostle uses the imperfect tense three times. I don't mean to teach you a lesson in grammar, but that's important. If you look at that verse, verse 2, literally goes like this. The crowd kept on following Jesus because they continuously saw the miracles, many of them, that he habitually did on the sick. John was not recording all the signs, and he said that at the end of his gospel. But he's just giving a sample of each. Why? So that you and I may believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? So that you and I might put our whole trust in Him. Why? So that you and I can cast all of our cares and anxiety upon Him. But the crowd didn't understand the significance of this particular miracle any more than they understand it today, 2,000 years later. Most of them thought that uh, Jesus was a very clever magician. Not the promised Messiah. But who cares? <laughs> he fed the stomachs. He provided for them. He'll get their vote. <laughs> well, these folks were following Jesus, not only because they had spiritual conviction, but because he filled their stomachs. They wanted him to rule over them. Amazing. People will submit to anybody who will give them food. The Bible said, the last verse, it said they want to make him king by force. And you notice... The integrity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Utter perfection and integrity. Verse 66 of John 6. He challenged them spiritually. And the moment he challenged them spiritually, they just ran. But notice how loving the Lord Jesus is. Although he knew their ulterior motive, yet he had compassion on them anyway. He realized that the day has gone long, but he even saw beyond that. He saw their spiritual need. He saw them as the spiritual need as sheep without shepherd. And that broke his heart. But like the paralyzed man which we looked at in the last message, who thought that his healing is in the water of Bethesda, and failed to recognize the real healer, the Messiah, God in the flesh, the crowd have failed to understand their own scripture. They failed to understand the word of God that they claimed to believe. Because the word of God and the prophecies of the Old Testament again and again said that when the Messiah comes, when God appears in the flesh, just as God has provided his, their forefathers with manna in, from heaven in the wilderness, he too will provide them with food. But they failed to see that. They had failed to comprehend the promises of Isaiah 1.19 and Ezra 9.12. That if you are willing and obedient, you should eat the good of the land. According to the teaching of the Old Testament, eating and drinking and joy is equated with the blessings of God and is equated with the presence of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 9, Nehemiah 9 36 tell us that food and eating associated with the blessing of God to his people. So, when God comes in their midst, in fulfillment of his messianic prophecies... They should have recognized that he is the one who's providing them supernaturally with food. Back to the miracle itself. As the day wore on, the disciples began to panic. You know, we always worry about things over which we cannot do a thing. <laughs> we fall in all kinds of traps. 
when we're beginning to worry, thinking of ourselves as the manufacturers and not only the distributors. If you begin to think of yourself as the manufacturer, look out. You will have a stomach full of ulcers. But if you see yourself as the distributor, you'll have the peace that passes understanding. And that's what was happening here. Master, they said, they're panicked. Get rid of them. It's getting late here. Send them away. Now, archaeologists tell us that there are about 14 different neighborhoods in that area. And each one would have around 15,000 people living in it. So the disciples were saying to Jesus, said, Jesus, send them out, all the Burger Kings and the McDonald's and the Wendy's, all in these neighborhoods. Let them go out before they close down. And when Jesus suggested that the disciples feed them just to test them, he encountered a very interesting reaction. I want you to listen very carefully, please, and see if you can identify either with Philip or Andrew or none. Philip is your number one guy comes in here. He is what you would call in business the ultimate number cruncher. He's got a calculator in his head. And he knows numbers. Don't mess around with him as far as mathematics is concerned. He knew that there's not enough McDonald's or Wendy's or Burger King's or any fast food around all the neighborhoods to feed these folks. But even if it was so, there were fifteen dollars to $20,000 would not be enough for them to get just a happy meal, let alone a big whopper. <laughs> How many Christians are like Philip? They are good with math, but not with faith. They are good with arithmetic, but not with spiritual adventure. They are good with logic and physical evidence, but not with trusting the supernatural power of God. To Philip, it was all a matter of dollars and cents, but no spiritual sense. You know, the average church leaves the supernatural power of God out of their planning. The average church leaves the Holy Spirit of God out of their worship. The average church leaves the Holy Spirit out while they're grinding and making program after program, program after program. And no reference to the supernatural. The average church could function just as well if there were no Holy Spirit. Philip, like many Christians, no matter how much you see God works, no matter see how many miracles Jesus performed... He still could not stretch his faith to see him doing the next one and the next one. Philip has seen so many healings and so many miracles as we've seen in verse 2. There were so many of them. But he did not think feeding the multitude was one of those. That could happen again. Andrew is the second one. Andrew reminded me of a cautiously optimistic salesman. If there's such a thing. He wouldn't go out on the limb. Because if it worked, he would take credit. If it didn't work, he would say, I told you so. You know, they said there are three kinds of shoe salesmen. The negative one who comes into town and sees everybody running around barefooted. And he calls the headquarters and he says, forget it. They don't wear shoes here. I'm moving on to the next town. <laughs> then you get the positive salesman. He calls the headquarters. When he comes in and sees all the barefooted, he'll say, send us all that you have in the stock. They need shoes. <laughs> and then there is the cautiously optimistic salesman who says they may. On the other hand, they may not. (laughs) Actually, Andrew more of a lawyer than he is really a salesman. (laughs) You got to weigh it out. Verse 9. He says to Jesus, there is a lad here with five barley loaves and two fishes. But then he interrupts himself. As he was talking, he interrupts himself and he says, on the other hand, what are these among so many? I'm glad this little boy went to Andrew and not to Judas. I think Judas would have eaten that boy's lunch. 
Andrew at least had a mustard seed faith. And God honored that. The Lord Jesus honored that mustard seed faith. Andrew knew enough to know that if the boy gives his lunch to the master, he may be able to do something. You know, every time I see Andrew in the scripture, he's always taking somebody to Jesus. You notice that? Here's this little boy. He didn't know what, what to do. He said, well, at least he's got something. Jesus may be able to do something. Well, that's a mustard seed faith. But you know what? God honors that. He really does. I want to tell you that the Andrews of this world are the unsung heroes of the Christian faith. The quiet but faithful witnesser for Jesus Christ. The quiet but faithful Sunday school teacher. The quiet but faithful servant. Those are unsung heroes of the kingdom of God. It was quiet, retired preacher that reached out to a boy and he talked to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that boy grew up, He started the whole modern missionary movement over 200 years ago. His name was William Carey. It was a Sunday school teacher who went to visit one of his boys in his class that was missing. And he went to his office to visit him where he was working as a shoe clerk. And there quietly in the back room led him to the Lord. And that boy grew up to be the great evangelist D.L. Moody. And these boys and many others, I can tell you many stories like that. Many of those Andrews who have brought boys like that and girls like that, when these folks reached manhood, they have impacted millions with the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, those barley loaves and fishes, they're not loaves as you understand the loaf. These were as small as a, as a, a pancake. And the fishes were small like sardines. This is a little boy's lunch. Insignificant. Unimpressive. These were things that even in those days were not great things. In the light of the vast need, 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. But this is how God works. Please listen. God blesses the very little that you give to Him. God uses the small things that you consecrate for His service. God multiplies the few things that you dedicate to Him. Moses had a small stick. God said, strike the rock. And there gushed a lot of water. A small Hebrew girl was taken and witnessed to her captor, the Syrian general by the name of Naaman, and he was healed of leprosy. A drop of oil in a jar, blessed of God through the prophet Elijah, and was multiplied to many jars. David had only five little pebbles, and he was a little boy himself, and yet God blessed it to destroy a menace, a giant menace. You and I make terrible mistake when we say, when God blesses me, I'll do this. When this happens, I will do that. That's a terrible mistake in the kingdom of God and the work of God. You are hindering God from using your little faith. God can use the very little that you consecrate to Him, whatever it may be, as long as He asks for it. He wants you to offer Him whatever He's asking, and He'll bless it. He wants you to give Him the few things that He's asking for. He will multiply it. He doesn't care about the size. God doesn't care about size. He can turn the mountain into bread if He wanted to. But that's not the way He works. That's the way we would like him to work, but that's not the way he works. And we got to conform to God and let God conform to us. God uses the small things that he says, consecrate to me, give to me, and he will bless him and use him as a blessing. Size, quantity, 
That's not important to God. God cares about the condition of your heart. That's what he cares about. Why? Jesus tells us very simply. If you are not faithful with the little things, you are not going to be faithful in the big things. Take that and bank it. (laughs) Jesus knew our hearts. He knows how deceptive our hearts are. And he knows that if we're not faithful with the little that he's given us, even if he gives you abundance, superabundance, you're not going to be faithful then either. Do you want to put God to the test? And see if he would not multiply your blessings tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold? Well, go ahead, make his day. <laughs> he said, test me. Now when Jesus places his hand of blessing upon the lad's lunch, and the basket just kept on filling up. Disciples would distribute it, and they come back, and the baskets are filled up again. They fill it up, and the band, they could bring it out empty, and they filled up again. They all ate to their fill, and there was plenty left over. That's what they call a cafeteria. All you can eat for nothing 99. <laughs> the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, fed their stomachs. But you know, we have modern skeptics who would love to play down this miracle, who would play down this supernatural intervention of the Lord, who play down this sign. Some of these modern do-gooders, they said that the miracle has taken place in the heart of the crowd. I just want you to listen very carefully. The miracle happened in the heart of the crowd. Jesus induced and he challenged this crowd to share the provisions that they have, the little that they have. And somehow, magic Everything was okay, and they had enough to eat. In fact, one of those folks basically said they were brown bagging it. Back then, they they had brown bags, you know. They're brown bagging it, and they were sharing it with one another. They all just opened their lunch, and they just, all of a sudden, it became more than enough. I tell you what, you don't want to know how many pulpits in this city who preach this stuff. You don't want to know. (laughs) I want to tell you one thing. I don't think these folks know that crowd. <laughs> I lived in the Middle East. I know this kind of crowd. They wouldn't share diddly squat. <laughs> Just imagine, you know, this mob want to take Jesus and make him king by force because he got them to share. <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. Had Jesus made them share their food, the next time they see him, they said, ah, this is the one who got me to share my food. Not make him a king. I want to say one more thing before I conclude. Jesus performed the miracle supernaturally through his divine supernatural power. But then the disciples became the distributors. Jesus performs the miracles, but you and I are the distributors. We are to manifest his glory. Do you see yourself as a manufacturer or do you see yourself as a distributor? I think the answer to that question, and I beg you not to avoid it or shrug it off. Think about it all day. Am I really in my heart of heart, I think of myself as a manufacturer or am I just a distributor? Because the answer to that question is going to determine your effectiveness for the kingdom of God. Is going to determine your effectiveness in your home. It's going to determine your effectiveness as we walk. It's going to determine your effectiveness in the church. God wants us to be distributors. At a Christian camp in the state of New York, 
is a display case that contains a $1 bill and the story behind that dollar bill. And the story is this. Years ago, a missionary from Hong Kong by the name of John Bechtel came to the U.S. to raise money in order to buy a camp, a Christian camp for kids in Hong Kong that they can come and hear the message of Jesus Christ. And when he made an appeal, there was only one dollar gift. A little girl decided to give her ice cream allowance for, to be used for the kingdom of God, for this work. See, when the Christian Children's Fund in Hong Kong decided to get rid of their orphanages, they were selling them off. They offered Mr. Bechtel one of these properties for $250,000. And when he came home, he made that appeal. And there was only one dollar balance. He wrote back and declined the offer. <laughs> A year later, the same organization heard the story. There's only one dollar was given by a little girl in the state of New York. And they informed Mr. Bachtel that he could have the camp for one dollar legal purchase with the provision that the property would use, be used solely for the preaching of salvation to all who came within its gates. Since then, thousands of Chinese have come and heard the gospel and received Christ in what is known as the Sundu Camp. The ministry continues today. The ice cream allowance of a little girl surrendered, dedicated to the Lord has been multiplied manifold. What little thing do you have? What insignificant thing that you have? But Jesus is saying, Give it to me, dedicate it to me, and I will multiply it. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.